Welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all of the other people at the table. I am one of your hosts, DM Neil, aka Jote Moniac. And I am your other host today, DM Chris, aka DM Chris. One, Done. I guess, because there's the, you know, one yeah. guy that, oh. you know, that one oh. fella. That we'll get him eventually. Wonderful person. Um, <laughs> so as we did a little while ago, Chris and I have unearthed the or ripped forth our mailbag of holding from the Astral Sea. Um, I think, again, I think Mitch put it in a handy haversack. It was a whole thing. Um, but we're going to keep doing that on this episode. But before we do, we have a fantastic iTunes review that is very long. Um, <laughs> And I chose it because there's actually a question in it. So here we go. I was there, Gandalf, 3,000 years ago. I love it an, already. <laughs> an OG blockhead by Freelancer Blitz. That's how it feels. And this review is well overdue. I've been playing about 25 years and got fifth edition back in 2015. So I embarked on a quest to inspire myself to be a better storyteller and found this gold mine. For the past six years, I've been noting ideas on my phone about things I wouldn't have thought about and I may use in later games from quest ideas, NPCs, my own pantheon, even my own world. It's great content for all levels and great guests like Rich Howard, Ed Greenwood, Guy Sklanders, Matt Coville, Chris Perkins, and many more, and hopefully many more to come. I think to myself, who would make a good guest? And they turn up on here. Was so very happy when DM Chris returned. Hey. And, and Neil, please remind me where Jote Maniac comes from. Uh, you mentioned it a long time ago and can't remember, and I'm losing sleep over it. Okay. Neil, does it have to do with a game back in the day? Or was No. No, I it's literally just Jack of all trades, master of none. And I added the IAC because literally it just was never taken anywhere. So I added the, the suffix, if you will, to make it different. And then everywhere I put it, I hate saying this on the Internet because now like the next service I try and go use, someone's going to be like, oh, I got that guy. Uh, so Ooh, and then be, we're going to charge him $4,000 to get it back. Yeah, I'll be Joe Moniac one. On the yeah. Game. On the oh, new social service, uh, but basically that's all it boiled down to. Uh, but I, I would even go so far as to say that's also how I see myself. So I like it's a term I've often used for myself, but then adding that suffix because I'm weird, I'm crazy, and there we are. That's it. You, you have now unearthed this this wonderful gem of a story. I don't know, mm. but there is more. Have to say, I do miss story time and the mailbag of holding though. Well, that's where we are. Also, Whoa. when there will, when will there be a new series of Geek Wars? That's a that's a Mitch problem. We'll we'll message Mitch. Thanks for all your hard work. I look forward to your future content. If you're ever in the UK, come to UK Games Expo and I'll buy you a beer. That would be awesome. I've always wanted to go to the UK, but I've never made it there yet. Yes, well, not true. You. I was in the London airport once. Well, almost. I don't know counts. if that counts though. Sure. <laughs> Thank you, Freelancers Blitz, and hopefully we answered at least some of your questions. But speaking of questions, let's head to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? The plate meat's back on the menu, boys. 
All right. So for the meet today, as we kind of alluded to in the introduction, we are doing a mail bag of holding where we scour Twitter and our email and all of these places that we get emails and questions and things coming in stories. And so we've got a bunch of them that we want to get through today. So Neil, I'll start us off with the first one. This is from DM Syrac or Syrac, or I mm -hmm. am totally botching this, but we'll skip to what they actually wanted to say. So running a Star Wars Edge of the Empire game, and they have players that are playing their characters on somewhat of a whim. This could possibly be due to underdeveloped personalities of said character, etc. DM Syrac wants to know how to help them roleplay better in the game. Should I just let them do their thing? Am I just overthinking it? Neil, what do you think? Uh, if you're running a game, the answer is yes, you're overthinking it. <laughs> I make that totally, that, but that's true. And, and it's not necessarily a bad thing, but the answer is probably yes, you are overthinking it. But that's what makes you the GM, the DM. Uh, you're the person that will. Now, going back to that. So I've pulled up the email just to make sure that we don't miss anything. And one of the things that they, they also say is that the game is going great. So that's, it, it's interesting then what qualifies great. But then I guess that makes the question even better and even more so. Yes, you're overthinking it in the right way. Like you're trying to figure out how to engage the players even more. But I think that it's more that they don't have a defined character. Like, I think that's what's feeling off in the game. So I guess that that's more of where I would even go back to you because you, Chris, have more new players than I do or mm -hmm. really have mm -hmm. had for a really long time. So I guess the question is, what do you do to engage newer players with newer characters? Yeah, so part of it, part of it is I have three really new players, like brand new players and two one that like somewhat has played before and another one that's like a wily veteran. And so a lot of like I've had conversations with players that are that have played a lot longer behind the scenes of like helping other players understand how their characters work, helping them bring out personality traits that they see based on their character sheets. So, for example, our uh, sorcerer has a really high charisma. Uh, obviously, it should be that way. But he doesn't do much of the talking or persuading or any of those things. And so what he often does is he knows that about his character. And he will, even though his character is somewhat charismatic, will divert the attention to the sorcerer who has much more of those abilities to help draw those sorts of things out. Like, oh, because I have a high charisma score, I'm the one that should be the one negotiating in these moments mm -hmm. because that's how that would work and so i have i have players behind the scenes do that i also help remind my players of the sort of character that they're playing so one of our one of our players is a, a dwarf barbarian who uh, is a little bit hot-headed when we kind of created his character at the beginning tends to kind of love his ale classic dwarf barbarian stuff and so i just those little things even though they're not much I tend to just remind them of that when they go into situations of like, hey, you're in this situation and somebody's now just pushed one of your friends because they they won some money in a gambling situation. What does Allstick do in this moment? He tends to be a little bit hot headed usually, right? Like what would would he fly off the handle? Would he push the guy back? Like so trying to remember those little things about their personality or their character sheets of like, 
trying to almost nudge them in a direction, not to railroad them, but just to kind of like remind them about their player, their characters. Because the other thing is when somebody's brand new to this game, they're not a professional actor. They're not getting into character every single time, you know, whereas sometimes those of us running the games tend to be able to jump into those spaces a little bit more. So helping just remind them of those little weird personality traits that they have are, are just some things that I do regularly uh, at the table with newer players. So one of the other really nice things about Star Wars Edge of the Empire, and luckily I just have, I, of course, I have the book and I just looked it up because <laughs> I couldn't remember the term for it. But Chris, give me a D100 roll. And this is example in action. It's like you expect me to have a D100 just lying around next to me, Neil. Uh, 54. <laughs> so you, Chris, your obligation inside of Star Wars Edge of the Empire, your character is duty bound. The PC has a d- deep sense of duty that they feel compelled to fulfill, such as military service, making good on a contract or following some sort of thieves code. So it's the obligation role. Uh, basically, you you set that up. You could have your players roll randomly. You could have them choose because it fits their backstory for some reason. Uh, and then basically what you do at the start of sessions is you, as the person running the game, roll to basically see whose obligation will come up in the next session or mm-hmm. arc. And then that's a way that you're actively you're getting what the player feels obligated to do. And then you're acting on that to start prompting that role play. And that could help flesh out those characters more as well as just flesh out your story more. So, boom. Yeah, and D&D, I mean, playing off of the bonds and flaws could really, really easily do that too of a character. You know, just reminding them of, these are the things that you're really tied to and this is your vice. Yep. Yeah, it's good. Neil, what's our second question? Our second one is one that I said we would answer uh, when we read it as part of an Apple podcast review. And I think we might have gotten an email as well. So this one comes from DM Toaster Lover and five stars. No, so the question was basically buying weapons and armor or specialty items. And I think that's really where the nuance of this question comes in, because it's a question most people that had previous D&D experience and maybe not even having. It's a question most people have with fifth edition where you get to a place where your players are amassing wealth because that's what they tend to do and they want to spend that wealth. And then there are no price tags on the magic items. It's the best and the worst all at the same time. So basically, does the DM just make up a stall where there's specialty items and the PCs haggle to buy things? The answer? Sure. Uh, because it really depends on what you want to happen. The best guide is that in the Dungeon Master's Guide, there is a table that basically gives you a price range for the rarities of magic items. And then you can kind of base it off of also being able to see how much a potion of healing is. So the answer is is very much yes. Um, You, the DM, have to figure out how they get it. And it could be as easy as setting up a stall which is interesting to put in the world because is, is it that there's magic everywhere? So them having a stall is fine. But then are there the giant decked out bruisers that are guarding the stall or is it not that? Is it more of this seedy underground because selling magic items is taboo or yeah. yes, thoughts, Chris? Yeah. So the way that I've always done it in my games is I, I kind of look at the size of the city that the players are in and base it off of like 
it would be really hard to find legendary items in a small town, right? So maybe in my small town, I won't go above uncommon magical items, you know? And usually I'll, I'll think of like, I don't, I don't have like a specific store for it, but I'll have, I'll roll up beforehand, like six or seven potential magic items, not including potions. I don't include potions in that, but like extra items in there and I'll roll those up on a table and those will be completely random as like magic sometimes is in this world. Like somebody might come through and want to sell something and it might ship out within the next couple of weeks. And so every time they go in there, it's different, you know, so they might not have the opportunity to get that same ring that they could have had if they had bought it a week ago, you know, and that's typically how I do it. And as the town goes up, there's more items available when they go into a store. If there's more stores available, I might split it up between a couple different ones. But yeah, I enjoy doing that. It keeps it fresh. It kind of keeps it like they can't just walk in anywhere and get anything they want at any time. It kind of is like a, you know, Neil, in some ways, I we were talking about this. I started playing World of Warcraft again and you have the random loot drop, right? <laughs> yes. You have the random loot drop, right? Which is kind of fun and also kind of like nerve wracking at the same time and kind of a letdown sometimes. And also like, holy crap, I just found that really rare item that I've been wanting for a really long time. You yes. Know? So there's that sort of fun that comes into it, too, where they can't just walk into any building and buy whatever they absolutely want. But I also have it where they could walk into a building and say to a magic shop owner, hey, I'm looking for this specific item. Can you do some work for me? And they might pay a little bit of a commission fee or a finder's fee for it, but then give it a couple weeks and it might show up. You know, that that sort of thing works really well, too, um, if, it, if it's not in stock. Yeah, the idea that came to my head as you were describing it was the concept of certain car dealerships. The idea that if you like, so I've recently been back to rural Kansas the idea that there would be a Lamborghini dealership? No, simply not. The idea that you would have a used car dealership? Very likely. But where would I need to go in Kansas or to find a town big enough that would sell me a Lamborghini? And I know I could go to Kansas City. I could go to Wichita. I could go to these larger towns. And I even think about like around where I am what is available Mm -hmm. and so like that's an interesting concept because even the way you brought it up was like maybe i could be there and i could convince the person that i'd like this car and they could ship it from the larger town because i know that's what a lot of people here locally will do they'll find something down in la or san francisco and then pay the shipping fee and then be able to pick it up at their local dealership right so i mean let's be honest cars at this point are just they're magical items anyways (laughs) yeah pretty much I don't know. I just get in and I, t- I push a button. It's like, do you understand the level of science that goes into the fact that you just have a push start vehicle? Like, okay. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was watching today, Neil, totally off topic, was watching today the fact that Tesla tested their underground tunnel in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Unreal. Like that in and of itself, going 116 miles an hour underground for a mile and a half in one minute. Yeah. And then you're out the other side. Like, and they want to push through 4,400 4, people a day, oh. potentially. Or yeah, no, exactly. was it a day or an hour? I can't remember what it is. But like hoping that they could just get people from convention center to convention center to airport to like all of these things and like magic, witchcraft. Yeah, they've tested it in the LA one as well. And it's mm-hmm. just ridiculous. And yeah. then just a giant elevator at the, the end too, which is just awesome. Um, yeah. yeah. Hopefully it all Anyways. works out. 
I'd hate for anything bad to happen down there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Certainly would not be boring. Let me. I hate that that happened. Did you intend to say the word boring when it came to a bunch of holes underground? Well, I mean, it was made by Boring Company. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> that's why that's, I said it. <laughs> that's okay. Good. I'm glad it was intentional. That's what it, it was. was it was. It was. So our next question is from DM Alex. Uh, basically, it all boils down to at this point, I just don't know how to get stuck out of the narrative mud without railroading. How can I encourage my players to take their agency back and make them excited to steer their narrative roller coaster again? I see a theme that I did not intend to make out of the <laughs> out of these sets of questions. But this is yeah, this is always the struggle, right? Like sometimes it can be a hard season where it's like people are coming to the table and it's just nothing is clicking, right? Like been there, been a player that way. One of the things that I enjoy doing and what I'll often do at the end of a session is I'll ask the players, where do you want to go from here? And so you have you've teed it up perfectly. And the issue that DM Alex has is that, and I quote, there is a resounding I don't know that pierced me to my core. Mm-hmm. And basically, DM Alex, so they basically, that's what they get on a regular basis. And so it feels like... It, other fun quotes, adult riding a kiddie ride. Um, <laughs> so, hey, sometimes Zach Zoomer is a fun ride. Let's slow and agonizing. Uh, basically, they've teed things up as well and gotten back more of a yeah, sure, I guess. And so it's just kind of this interesting. So it is also interesting because it also sounds like there is a group that is on the railroad track and totally OK with that. So, yeah, yeah. I, exactly. I, I You've made all the right body language that I, I think as well of just, OK, so then, yeah, and f- figure out how to engage them further while they're on that ride. Yeah. And, and truthfully, if that's how they want to play, if they want to be railroaded, like, that's fine. You know, like Final Fantasy seven, you know, all these other games that were platformers, like you could literally only go like one direction, you know, and they were great games. Sometimes that's actually what players want and they will have a blast doing it because sometimes the idea that you can give players too much to do can be really overwhelming for players. And therefore, you know, you just don't do anything because you don't know. You don't know what to do with all the options that are there. Right. It's like walking into a golden corral. You don't know. You don't know what you want to eat. Right. There's just so many options. Whoa. I wasn't (laughs) ready. No, oh, Golden Corral. No, it was a, it was a reference. I was like, "This is going to take Neil off off base." Well, it, Golden did. Cor- <laughs> it did. I wasn't. I was not prepared. I have a, I have a weird hate for Golden Corral that has nothing. Yeah, so to do do I. With, with it has nothing to do with an actual Golden Corral. We'll just we'll just leave it there. And the other thing I think is even going back to the previous answer. Do you want to basically take obligation out of Edge of the Empire and add that to your game? It may be harder because it does sound like you have a game that's already active. And so something I've done that thankfully I, I'm, I'm doing an ounce of preaching and practicing at the same time. But I started texting my players between sessions. It's something I could always have done every single time, but I just mm-hmm. didn't. And so I've done a lot of that recently because I can kind of get that. I can feel that they're engaged with the story. So I'm trying to figure out how to engage them more. Mm-hmm. And so it could be even the smallest thread of a backstory of a player 
and pulling on that thread because it kind of seems like they're okay with whatever you're bringing up. So intentionally bringing up something that they've already provided and doubling or tripling down into that space seems like it might be one of the best options at this point, narratively, to get out of the narrative mud, as DM Alex has called it. Yeah, and sometimes like in what I love about the texting thing, and I do this with my players too, is it it causes myself and my players to slow down and be in a different mindset where they can actually process things when it's not real time happening in front of them or at the end of the session before when they're packing up, getting ready to go. You know, like there's so many times like I started playing again recently as a player where I'm like, oh, I thought I had a lot of things going through my mind as a DM. I have so many things going through my mind as a player trying to keep track of all of the story threads and this, that, and the other thing without actually knowing where the story is going to go that like, I mean, Mitch is running a campaign for me and a couple other people right now. And we, we went into the Feywilds and we were like running around doing all of these things. And like, he had to remind us after like a couple of hours, you guys came in here following these beetles that were causing people to go insane. We're like, Oh, that's right. (laughs) That's right. That's what we were doing, you know? So it could just be one of those things where it's like, there's so many things going on that just in that texting conversation, it'll slow it down enough that your players will actually have time to process what's happening and give a more straightforward answer as far as what they want or where they want to go because they're not having to do it right at the table with so many things going on in front of them. So I like that idea. We believe in you, DM Alex. I don't know if that's helpful, but I, I do because I, I really do think you just ended up with a set of players that are, are okay with the ride that you're taking them on. And that's a, that there's two ways to feel about that. And you can feel them both at the same time. But I guess my biggest takeaway is to feel empowered by that level of trust because they definitely are just there and ready. So on, on that note, hopefully a high note, we are going to switch up to what I believe is my favorite non-question it's more of that I have a question about this email. <laughs> I guess that counts. So this yeah. one is from DM Tuku Master. And I, I quote, I have no idea what inspired them to do this. And then we're going to talk about what they did. Basically, they say, hey, thank you. You have inspired me to create this two-part campaign. That is the point at which I stop understanding how we did this. Because first part is a centralized around the industrialized Arcane trench warfare, like the two world wars, but D&D. Shotgun shells with magic missile scrolls, grenades of necromancy, raising dead to kill in the opposing trench, stuff like that. Players have to stop opposing forces from detonating a bomb of the dead, supposed to resemble the power of an atomic bomb, but fail to do so. A lich is raised and consumes the minds of the players. The second part of the campaign, then, after their minds have been consumed by a lich, is where the players must fight their way through the cold, cruel, and nonsensical mind of said lich that they're now stuck in, slay it from within, and return to their own bodies in their own world. That's a lot. <laughs> and I have, I, the, so the two parts, the first part, the trench warfare, Certainly. no, I, no idea mm-hmm. how we would have inspired that other than saying like they were listening to it and just had this idea because they were listening to the DMs block and they got unstuck and thought of a really cool idea that had nothing to do with what we were talking about. The second part. So I'm curious if we ever shared, cause Mitch and I, when we were at a catacon one year, ran a, campaign 
or a one shot for two different groups mm-hmm. through different sections of a quote unquote brain. And then they fought each other in the middle to be able to escape out of it. I can't remember if we shared that in an actual episode or not. See, and I don't think you've shared it that way because I know about that game, but I didn't know that it was in a brain until you said that right now. Right. So then my other thought was like, if this, I hope this is just super fun for whoever's listening is Chris and I just sit here and wax poetic about old episodes. Um, but the other one I think is like, did the TPK episode inspire the second half? Because I know mentioned the idea oh, yeah. of like, you've, you've died and you're prepared as the DM for TPK in that they have to fight their way back out of the underworld. Mm. Um, and so, or just fight their back, fight their way back to just being in, in their own bodies again. Mm-hmm. And so that's theoretically a possible inspiration, a point of inspiration from, yeah. but I'm just so, I love all of it, but I'm so baffled. Yeah. The other thing is that I'm hearing is it could have been a whole lot of things that could have inspired this, that they just yeah. mashed together from here. So could have been something from top tens. Who knows? Who knows? Oh yeah. Of course it could have been. Or magic, you know, magic item episodes. I mean, so many things that it could have been all smashed into one. And you know, the other option is that it was it wasn't even us. And I'm okay with that too because it <laughs> sounds so good. Uh, and I love so so much about it. So we have another. There we go. Yes. So our next one is from DM Letifos. Uh, it says a party member won't fight. Is she just not a good fit for the group or is there something I can do as a DM to encourage her? Now, Neil, I asked a clarifying question about this Mm -hmm. that would also be helpful. Is this character trying to play a pacifist character? So it doesn't seem like it. So for for further context, that everyone seems to enjoy the story at this table, including the person playing this character, but her character will just not join in the fights. And so... And what I love is the the step that DM Letifos has taken to engage with the person one on one to discuss the mechanics and because they're brand new. So maybe it was a hesitancy of like, I don't want to join in the fight because honestly, it is the most number crunchy thing as a new player to engage with. And you're certainly going to I mean, as much as I've played almost every combat, I will be like, oh, cool. Why didn't I use that super awesome thing that I totally should have used in round three and just never did it? It would have been very helpful, um, but I didn't. And so it's not that she does understand how combat works. She just won't fight. And so the nope, I'm trying not to laugh at some of this, but some of it is anecdotally kind of funny because so they're going around. And basically, she often asks, can I sneak past them or can I hide under the table? Um, And basically, yeah, just avoiding combat. Yeah. So there's a there's a couple thoughts that I have is maybe and I don't know because this isn't my character and it isn't at my table, but maybe this is part of the beginning part of this character's story where they will grow out of that phase into becoming more confident going into battle, right? Like it's not that they're pacifists, but it also sounds like that might also not be the case because they just are trying to search the room or loot bodies or do all these things during battle, which at that point it's like, especially if you're playing a game where it requires all of your people to be engaged at the table. And if it is causing 
uh, hesitancy is probably the wrong word, but causing like concern from the rest of the players of like, well, what's the point of us even watching out for this character if they get hit? Because clearly they're not doing anything for us. Or it's the moment where it's like, well, this battle is significantly outnumbered because we are fighting these bad guys that were meant for four people. And now we only ever have three or it then causes the DM to say, well, what kind of encounter do I have to build so that it's fair? You know, if this person is just, and then they join in and they just wreck everything. But then the next time they don't join in. And now I'm nearly killing my players all the time because this one player doesn't want to join in. Yeah. And it's, it, it sounds like, it sounds like you had the conversation around game mechanics and they understand it. Now it's a conversation that has to be had around, is this the right fit for you? Because I, it, I, we don't want this to become a bad experience for the rest of the players, right? And it very easily could become that. Which, yeah, and there, there's the hint, the hint at the idea that those, those, the rest of the table is somewhat annoyed at the idea that, yeah, are we in a, in a fight that should have an additional combatant but doesn't and also yes they were trying to explore a desk in the corner and read some parchments on it during active battle um <laughs> it feels very deadpool of them to do yeah so <laughs> i think and i wonder i guess has there been an in-character conversation that would probably if that hasn't happened that's certainly something that i would really have promoted as the dm even if it's a side conversation to say hey how about having that conversation or even at the table saying, how about that conversation happens in character? And then are you starting to pull out the idea that this character just doesn't want to fight? Is there a level of pacifism? What's going on? And so the other thing I would say about the question asked is, is she just not a good fit for the group? The first question I would ask is, is that character not, a good fit for the group and then trying to figure out if the player, if that's not the right table for the player, which it happens. That's fine. Like it's an at will situation. It, it should be okay for a person to leave and it should be okay to ask someone to leave. But it's super hard. I, I don't know why I said that was such ease. Had both idea, happen, right? I've had, yeah. I've had players that have said, this isn't a good fit for me. And I've had to ask, I've had to tell people this isn't a good fit for them. You know, mm -hmm. and it, neither is easy to hear. Yeah, and the other is that I, I've certainly had several times where a character isn't working for a player, be it above or at the table, depending on where that happens, and that's okay. Then I'm just like, ooh, I can intentionally kill someone and not feel bad about it at all. <laughs> um, and figuring out how to work that into the story. But the idea that my bigger question is, is the character not good for the group? And again, those are my layers, character, then player. So I don't know that that's it. That's it. That's all I've got. That's all we've got. That is. Those are those are all of our questions, Neil. For now. For now. For now. So, yes, yes if you have more questions that this spawned other questions in your minds uh, about things that we talked about, or if you want more clarification or share more awesome stories like crazy trench warfare and lich mind battles, uh, send your emails to dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. That's dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. If you liked what you heard, go to uh, Apple Podcasts. Do they go to iTunes now or is it Apple Podcasts? No, now? so it'd be go Apple to Apple Podcasts, Podcasts right? But I, but go I to Apple. 
But I would even say to interrupt there, both of these options certainly work as ways to get a hold of us. Additionally, if you want to go to our Twitter, it's at DMS underscore block or message us on Facebook. And just so we're abundantly clear, we are super backlogged on all of this stuff. We apologize. But the other thing is, for the sake of spam, oh my gosh, stuff just goes away into a black hole. So like the, illu <laughs> the illusion of the idea that like, oh, the mailbag of holding got stuck in the handy haversack, the idea that it just it's built into most systems. Like there's a bunch of stuff that I just found like in spam designated as spam. Totally not. Amongst um, all the other junk that's in there. Yeah. Or the, uh, the whole other section in Twitter, the whole other section. In oh Facebook. yeah. 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 So yeah, hopefully we find your message and, or you just put it in a five star review and just ask your question there. Like DM toaster lover. There you go. Just don't continually send emails over and over again. Cause that's a good way to end up in spam. Yep. <laughs> uh the dungeon master block is a proud member of the block party podcast network where you can check out other shows like gm showcase geek wars detentions and dragons and dungeons and dragons and daughters and more so thanks for listening to the dungeon masters block the place where we come to talk about the dungeon master the most important person in the game the only person capable of playing god killing characters and lowering the egos of all the people at the table. Have a good night, everyone. And keep on Dungeon Master. Goodbye.